If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! one of the most common musculoskeletal disorders there are one to two in a thousand live births so it's very very common welcome to the nemours champions for children podcast i'm carol vassar and that was pediatric orthopedic surgeon dr reed nichols the musculoskeletal disorder she's referring to clubfoot which affects the muscles and bones in one or both of a newborn's feet a clubfoot instead of being straight points down, with the toes on the affected foot pointing toward the opposite leg. Left untreated, a club foot doesn't move up and down, flex and point like your feet or mine. This can cause the child to walk using the side of the foot, which is definitely suboptimal. With proper treatment, the individual should in time be able to use their foot or feet without major problems. Some kids treated for clubfoot even go on to become world-class athletes. People like soccer star Mia Hamm, figure skater Christy Yamaguchi, and football player Troy Aikman. So what is proper treatment? Dr. Nichols talks about the treatment methodology she performs on her patients. It's called the Ponsetti method, which relies on casting and bracing to correct the issue and avoids surgery. But first, let's hear about Dr. Nichols' unofficial first patient, her young brother. My brother fell down at age five off of his bike, broke his jaw in three places, and I patched him all up, put some band-aids on him, butterfly band-aids, pulled his chin together. And I will tell you, my dad, for some reason, asked me if I wanted to be a doctor. I said, no way. They just want to make money. And I was wrong because clearly that's not what well. We do fine, but that's not what we do this for. And so I sort of back channeled after he made that comment because I love to put things together. I love taking care of patients and just people. I just like people a lot. And to be able to be a teacher and to put people back together and do really interesting things and help them walk and that kind of stuff is um, it's a real honor to get to do what I do. And I, I actually went to nursing school first and became a surgical ICU nurse at Hopkins before I went down this path. So I used to take care of only adults, and now I take care of only kids and some big kids too. But it just sort of became my thing. And everyone always says, you know, you're going to lose that crazy passion you have someday. I'm like, no, I'm not. This is part of my DNA. Every patient feeds that a little bit more. So I ended up in the right path, that's for sure. A path Dr. Nichols first took at the age of 17. I worked as a, basically an MA at a very, very busy gynecologist's office. And then I applied to nursing school through there. I used to work there in the summers and then after college and kind of whenever I was at home. And I happened to take care of his children at home too. So that was, I kind of lived it, breathed it. And I watched this guy who was just amazing, you know, fall off his horse at 62 and try to get on a mountain bike and jump things. It was a disaster. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go and live my life first 
I'm going to fall when I'm 20, not when I'm 60. And I think that that will make me a better doctor in the end. And so I sort of started in healthcare. I did a million different jobs, anything from bartending to I was a referee for field hockey and lacrosse all the way up to the college level. I had fun. I worked on a dude ranch out west in Wyoming. And so I, I kind of maximized my life and then ended up loving nursing. And then I decided I really wanted to learn a little bit more. So at age 30, I decided to go to medical school. And now I'm part of the 6% of, of women that are orthopedic surgeons. And I'm pretty proud of that. So let me ask about Clubfoot. I mean, I've heard of it. I, I'm fortunate my three children uh, were not born with it. But what is it? What causes it? And how can it be treated? So I can answer some of those questions. I can't answer all of those questions. So Clubfoot is not just a deformity of the foot, although that's what the name sounds like. It actually can can start a little bit higher in the leg. So your leg can be a little bit shorter. So we just have to keep that in mind. So I always tell the parents when they come here, we, I see patients when they're pregnant to talk to the families about what to expect and, and our treatment program and all of that. And I always joke with them. I said, here's your first test question. And I will ask you, you know, you will fill out your bubble sheet at the end of the, of the session. But it's, if you think of CAVE um, as our acronym for clubfoot, it's CAVIS, which is a high arch. It's adductus, meaning the forefoot is turned towards the midline. Varus is when the heel is sort of tilted towards the inside. So if you think of the ankle as the knee and you think of a bow-legged cowboy, varus is when you have bow legs. So your feet are closer together, but you can do that with any kind of joint. So in this case, the heel is tilted in, kind of like the leg is tilted in a bowed leg. And then there's the last part of the acronym, Aquinas. So the foot is pointed down. So it's a complex deformity of all those things. We don't have one specific, oh, if you have this gene, you will definitely have clove foot. There are many genes associated with this. There are some environmental issues. It's again, my plug, please don't smoke ever, but don't smoke when you're pregnant because it can be an associated risk. So congestational diabetes, obesity, some there are some genes that are linked. There are some chromosomes that are linked. There is some familial transference, but it's not always. 80% of the time, this is what you really need to know. 80% of the time, it's idiopathic, meaning we really don't know what caused it. It's not just a packaging issue that you know things are too tight in the womb. There is a little bit higher risk for a a second child with clubfoot, but in a I have a very busy practice and I have very, very few siblings that both have club feet. So I think that's important to remember. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about it is the standard of care is to do what we call the Ponsetti method. There are a couple of non-surgical methods described, the French method, which is, uses a lot of physical therapy and taping, and then Ponsetti. Ponsetti was a really interesting man. There's a lot of information about him. He died a few years ago. We celebrate him and World Clubfoot Day on his birthday, June 3rd. And what Ponsetti saw was that you could use some of the stretchiness of a baby's foot to bring it around with a series of stretching and manipulation and then casting. He had a, an idea in his head about how successful this method was. 
And I think, you know, surgeons like to cut. So I think we we didn't listen to him very well in the beginning. We have how many years of follow-up? The 40-year, the 60-year follow-up. The success rate is huge. And we used to do a lot of surgeries where we just basically took apart the foot, put it back together. We would get a fabulous x-ray afterwards, and then we would get a very stiff foot. So what we're trying now is to really use Ponsetti as the number. It is the gold standard. I always joke that I cast until I'm blue in the face. So I really like to keep a knife away from a baby's foot. So let's start from the beginning. We take this cavus, the high arch. We fix the high arch with a cast and stretching. Every cast gets changed every four to seven days. And in that time, the baby's foot kind of relaxes and we can manipulate the foot a little bit more. And there's a very specific order that we do. It's a very technical cast. It's not just throwing on a cast and, you know, say and see you later. And we want the baby's foot to feel the cast. So there's very little padding underneath. The cast is put on in two parts. They joke that even if I let one of my assistants cast, if I'm nearby, I have a track record of approximately five seconds before I put my fingers in, even if I trust them, just because I really want it to be just perfect. They're your baby. They're, just, they're tiny and you just you don't want to cast them forever. So the cast will go above the knee. Um, it's a very small leg. The cast could slip off both because it's small and because the foot is facing straight down. Its tendency is once to come off. So it's a very well-molded cast. So after the first cast, you've gone from flattening the, the arch out to really just bringing the foot around. And the name of the game of clubfoot is to recur because we never say, hey, foot, you don't have clubfoot anymore. We've just manipulated the tissues to change their length, and hopefully the bones will remain in a normal shape. And we call those properties of the baby's tissues viscoelastic properties. So if you think of a, that bag of balloons that you used to have for your kids, they were latex then, they're not latex now. You blow it up and you let it fly all over the room. Everyone's laughing. It is so funny. And then you do it again. You take that same balloon, you blow it up. You do that a couple of times. The initial balloon that you pulled out of your bag is much different shape than the balloon that you've blown up four times. So that's exactly what we're doing with the foot. We're manipulating those tissues so they sort of lose their, their tightness, but it doesn't go away. Whatever caused the clubfoot, and like I said, there are some there are some genes that have been identified, but it's not in every single one, and it's not really the like the mainstay of treatment. So you can change each cast every four to seven days. We play music. They for every cast they get a little bit of sugar water and. Some kids like Van Halen, some kids like lullabies. You know, it really just depends on the nature of the child. If you breastfeed and you want to try to breastfeed during the casting, I have no problem with that. The Our sweeties, the sugar water, I think is a little less volume. So sometimes I will promote that if, if they're crying. And the leg does get a little bit more sensitive between each cast just because the leg has not been touched. So I encourage people to touch the, the skin, you know, as they're waiting for me. And then you get to a place where you've overcorrected the foot and the foot is turned out significantly. And I will tell you, especially between cast two and three, it's like you've performed a miracle. The foot is so different in shape. And I think it is, it's like a wow factor. That's awesome. You know, it's not fun to come and see us every week or your practitioner, but 
it's so rewarding when you see the kind of the fruits of your labor and you see this foot that looks so different in the beginning and it's starting to look like what you expect. And then you get to the place where, wow, the heel is not you know, turned in. It's turned either, it's a little bit out, but it's looking, it looks pretty straight in the back. And then you get to the point where the doctor says, hey, now we can adjust the Achilles, the Aquinas part. So when I'm making that decision, the foot has to be corrected. The talus, which is the bone in the foot, needs to be back into its original or its, its meant or its typical spot underneath the tibia, which is the shin bone. And we have to determine if we need to cut the heel cord. A minor procedure known as a tenotomy. And if we cut the heel cord, I do it personally in the office with numbing medicine, and then we inject a little local. And then I use um, a specialized blade, so it's very short, and I cut the, the tendon. It takes two seconds, and I don't even put a stitch in. The foot is corrected, and they get their last cast. And that last cast stays on for three weeks, and that tendon grows back like a little salamander in that time period. And then you transition to your boots and bars, your brace. So that's phase two. Phase two is where we put this boots and bar on. There are a couple of different braces that are on the market right now. I stick with what works. I usually use the straight bar with the Ponsetti shoes. They're very soft. The babies do very well in them. They don't like necessarily that both feet are connected. It's a challenge. We really try to prepare you because as we're casting each week, we also try to teach you on a baby doll model how to put the brace on. So by the time you're ready to put that brace on your own baby that's crying because they have sensitive feet, you are ready. And you're not worried about the mechanics of it. You're just worried about how can I get my foot in the brace the best. And that baby doll model works beautifully. So the first three months, the child wears the brace for 23 hours. And you break up that one hour in 15-minute intervals or something like that. You know, I'm not at home with a stopwatch. If you let the baby stay out for two hours, it only hurts them. It doesn't hurt you. You're happy. You're holding the baby, but the foot could get tight over time doing that all the time. Um, so I really encourage you to stick with the protocol. We can have the best results. I can't guarantee you that you're going to have a Mia Hamm playing soccer or Troy Aikman playing football, but they're pretty good athletes and they both had club foot. So I think it's reasonable. And then after the three months, you drop down to night and nap wear, which is about 12 to 14 hours. That foot is growing to half of its adult length by about 18 months. So there's rapid growth in the beginning. So that's why it's so important to stick with this. There are some people that will stop the brace a little bit early. If I have a super flexible foot, I might stop a little early, but expect that if I do a tenotomy, you will wear the braces until five. And you know what? It's just like their lovey. These are their magic nighttime shoes. Sometimes if you try to take it off because they're sick or whatever, they can't sleep because they don't have them on. So we have to get it out of our head that they can't accept them. Actually, they accept them very quickly because it's part of their routine. And they don't mind wearing them at all. So by about five, treatment is complete pretty much or not? We'll still be watching. I see them a little bit less frequently. We have a pretty fantastic gait lab. So we can see foot pressures. So they walk across what we call a force plate. And we can see 
it's in great pictures and color where their pressure is on their feet. So I might say, oh, I'm so excited. You know, little Kyle is doing so great. And they go to the gate lab and they say, yeah, but they're a little tight and there's an early heel rise, meaning that Achilles has gotten tight again. And then I can really objectively watch that. Say, yeah, I'm going to watch that the next time. So we do the gate lab every six months, approximately after about the age of two and a half, when they can sort of walk on our we call it the yellow brick road. So it looks like the Wizard of Oz. And hopefully they don't have a recurrence, but you could be the best parent with the most diligent protocol at home. And you could have a really tough club foot that goes back really fast. And what do we do? We recast. We do everything we can before we jump in and do surgery. I do the most minimalistic a la carte surgery that you can do. And I'm not afraid to cast couple of times before I jump into doing anything with that kind of intervention. Like I said, physical therapy is one of the methods with taping in the French method. I think you bring PT in as soon as you need it, you bring it. There are some little feet that are just tough and I will pull every modality possible except for going to the operating room in order to treat this foot. But there are, every once in a while, there is a really tough foot. So I, you know, I, I do say that, but not every single foot is tough. So the Ponsetti method works beautifully, and it's especially effective in hands that, that are very particular to the details that make it happen. Now, you don't do this in a vacuum by any means. You have a team. No. Talk I have about the best that. team. I love my team. I call them my work wives, but they are the best. So I have a partner that, that also does club feet. She has her own team. And then I have a physical therapist that pops her head up all the time because I do have plenty of kids with club foot that are not just idiopathic clothes. I always say that, you know, she, she does all the work. I take all the credit for those tough ones. She'll do her physical therapy before I put my cast on. And so she stretched them out and made them great. And then I kind of come in afterwards and put a cast on. So I do almost nothing. But for the idiopathic club feet, I have a physician assistant and her name is Kate. And she is just amazing. She helps me to get the casting done so we can kind of move through this rapid fire. And she helps me with teaching and checking up on patients and brace checks and all these things. And then my second work wife, as I like to call her, her name is Beth, and she is sort of the do everything. She's a medical assistant who does scribing and sort of is a clinical specialist, and she's become very proficient in some of the teaching. We have a a closed Facebook group. I only accept the cutest children with the coolest parents. They are on that group. I tell them to post the good, the bad, and the ugly on that page so that I don't have a child with clubfoot. They find out all the tips and tricks. I can tell you how to do things, but I can't live it for you. So I really love the fact that we have a very active Facebook group. Patients have my phone number. If there's a problem, they know the only reason why I will get mad at them is if their baby ever smells like cigarettes, because I have a huge problem with cigarettes. And also if they are really struggling and they don't call me, because you know usually I can help or one of my assistants can help. And then I have an administrative assistant who's just fabulous and really gets to know the patients and knows how quickly I need to see patients when they're struggling. This isn't easy all the time. Sometimes the feet are really tough. 
and it's your newborn baby. And then you have postpartum hormones that are raging and that makes you happy and sad all in the same second. And it's, you know, there's a lot to, to contend with wondering if you are going to have the easy foot or the hard foot. But we try to celebrate these babies and they do great. And it's pretty much a miracle that you see when you are casting these these little legs. Talk a little bit about the the parents involved here or the guardians or the family members, the support system. You, you mentioned the, the Facebook group, which is pretty amazing. But how important is, I would guess it is key that parents, guardians, grandparents are involved in this from the get-go? It is. We have to form a partnership. I always tell them we have to be BFFs because we're going to see each other a lot. And the best success is if you believe in what I'm telling you, because we can really work together. But if you stop bracing because they're sick or grandma thinks that that brace looks atrocious, not that grandma would, but you know, there's, if there's some family member that says, Oh, I don't want to put it on tonight. Let's just give, you know, little Johnny a break you're really hurting them, the kid, not you. So it's really, I need buy-in. I need consistency. It's phase two when you're bracing is not the easiest part. When I'm casting, it's much easier. And luckily we have some people that they're very young moms. I feel like we can give them stability and strength because we are such a good team. When we don't have limited visitation as we do now, the more family that comes in with them, the happier I am because I want everybody to put their hands on the baby doll model to see how the casting goes. I do give some extra braces to the little, you know, if they have an older sibling that might have a little trouble with why their baby brother or sister is getting into a brace so they can bring their animal in. We'll put the braces on them or we'll cast their, their stuffy or whatever just to make them a part of it. It's a very rewarding outcome. So Although, you know, I think it's daunting for, I just talked to a a new, a a soon to be new mom today, and she's so worried about the frequent visits and all this. And honestly, I think we look forward, we end up looking forward to seeing each other each week and the progress they make. And luckily it's something that you can see so clearly and to know that they're going to walk and play just like a typical kid. And maybe one of my kids will be Mia Hamm. Dr. Reed Nichols is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon who specializes in correcting clubfoot. She is based at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Delaware. Each Monday morning, a new episode of the Champions for Children podcast puts you, the Nemours Associate, in the spotlight. I'd love to help you tell your Nemours story to a wider audience of your fellow associates. We do the interviews remotely, so let's set up a time in the near future. Just email podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org, and we can make it happen. Our production team this week includes Peter Adebi and Deborah Griffin. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. This podcast is available on Nemoorsnet and the Nemours Now app, along with your favorite podcast app and your smart speaker. On behalf of Dr. Reed Nichols, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.